0: Good morning, Kettlebrook family. It's good to see you this morning. And we want to uh, also say a good morning to those who are joining us virtually. We're glad you're here with us this morning. My name is Kim Mundinger, and I'm the the pastor to children and families here at Kettlebrook. And uh, I also just want to remind us that part of our family is not with us this morning. There is a large contingency of youth um, I think I heard 130 or more at a youth retreat this past weekend, and so they are wrapping that up this morning, and we are so excited for what God is doing in and through our youth, um, and we praise God for that, but we miss we miss them here and the leaders that are with them. Um, if you, I, I am not going to be giving um, announcements this morning because you should have gotten an, an email with announcements in in that email earlier this week, so we encourage you to open that email and read those announcements. It also has the bulletin attached. Um, and if you are not receiving those emails and you would like to receive those emails, go ahead and call the church office or um, contact info at kettlebrook.org and they'll make sure that you start getting those e- those emails so you know what's happening in our faith community. Um We, just to to give you a little bit of a vision statement for us, you probably are familiar with this, but we are a family of followers here at Kettlebrook of Jesus who are helping others follow Jesus. And I love, I love the way that um, we start with being a family because um, God has given us a picture of his kingdom through family. And so he is our father and because of Jesus Christ we are brothers and sisters. And I love that we can interact that way. Now we know that families are messy. So it's not always perfect, right? We don't always get along perfectly, but but we have Jesus at the core which allows us him to transform us as we follow him every day. We follow him more and more, we become more and more like him. So we are a family of followers of Jesus. And because of his great love and because of the Holy Spirit working in and through us, we're helping other people follow Jesus. We're out in our communities. We're out in our job places, in our schools, and, we're, and, and in the world. And we're helping others come to know who Jesus is and to learn how to follow him as well. So we just pray that this morning would be um, a blessing to you, that we would worship together in community, and it would be an opportunity for us to not only connect with God, but to connect with each other.
1: Have you ever considered how much better it would be to be present in the dwelling place of the Lord than some of the places that we allow ourselves to go throughout the week? Psalm 84 starts with, "'How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty. "'My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord.'" And verse 10 says, "'Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere.'" We're going to sing a song entitled That Very Same Thing, and as you sing that song, I want you to think about what it would be like to dwell in the courts of the Lord. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty, for my soul longs and even face for you, for here my heart is satisfied, within your presence I sing beneath the shadow Better is one day in your carts, Better is one day in your house. Better is one day in your court. Thousands elsewhere. Better. to you.
0: Me. Oh, Father, God, we just love to worship you. We welcome you here, Lord Jesus. Come have your way among us. You wash away all our fears. And when we see you, we have strength to face the day i am reminded that if we dwell in the shelter of the Most High, we will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. We will say that you are our refuge and our fortress. You are the authority in our lives because of the blood of you, of Jesus Christ, Lord, because of your blood and death on the cross and your resurrection, you wash us in your righteousness. And you give us authority over the darkness. Fear has no hold on us because of your incredible love. Your perfect love drives out fear, and we claim that this morning. We want to praise you, and we want to humbly submit to you. We want to humbly submit to your authority in our lives and say that we will follow you. I pray, Lord, for Brad and Sarah who are in a part of the world that we love dearly but is in great spiritual darkness. So many people there have not heard even the name of Jesus Christ. And I think of Brad and Sarah and they are like beacons of light because your light shines through them in the darkness And the darkness cannot penetrate the light. So we pray that they would continue to walk in the confidence that you give them, in the power of your spirit. And we pray that you would work mightily in and through them. We thank you for the people that they have connected with. For 25 years they've been there. And there are people that have come to know you, people that have put their faith in you, but it comes with a great cost. We pray for your protection over them spiritually, emotionally, and physically. God, would you be a shield around them? We pray that they would have interactions with other people that would cause them to seek you, to come to know you. God, we pray for visions that people might have of you. We know that you work through visions, God. And we pray that you would do that. We pray that you would multiply your kingdom. We cry out for these people. We pray that your kingdom would come. In this part of the world. And we pray that Brad and Sarah would be encouraged. That you would sustain them. That you would give them new um, ideas of ways to interact and connect. And we pray that you would just uh, advance. Continue to pierce the darkness, Lord. And we claim that. We claim a victory. We claim a victory because we know in eternity, every, someone from every tongue, tribe, and nation will be at your throne And so we claim it for this area today, Lord. And now as we continue to worship you, we pray that your spirit would speak to our hearts, that we would be available to you, and you would break down any barriers that would keep us from hearing your voice, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So
2: another very common barrier, and... Kristen, you had brought this up in a previous conversation, is how do I have the confidence to know what to say, to know um, if I know what I'm talking about? right? Like, So there's a, a barrier in discipleship of going, I don't know enough. I, I don't know if I'm good enough. Those kinds of things. This is a very common barrier that we experience. Can you Can you relate to that?
0: I think I can talk to people by my own experience, but not, like if you ask me to, have something memorized in the Bible or something, then I'm not going to be able to do it. But if I've had an experience, then I can talk about it very easily. And sure. If something's relatable, I can converse with them that way.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. Well, when you first opened the Bible like two and a half years ago, and now you're supposed to be going out and helping other people look at the Bible, it was very, it was very Intimid- intimidating. As, but. When you think about it, you really don't need to know, you just need to read it and then read it together and discuss it, and then all of a sudden you'll find out you know. Hmm. you know. So there's a lot of things I learned as I was going along with this process that I didn't really know, and because of it, because I'm looking and studying every night, you learn it, so you're not going to know. Like you said one time, you, can't, you aren't gonna know everything.
2: What are some of the assumptions in this statement? I, I don't know what to say. What are some of the assumptions about discipleship with this sentence, I don't know what to say?
3: I believe the assumption is that it's supposed to be you know what to say. God will put something on your heart or something in your mind, and he's gonna figure it out for you. He's gonna figure out what to say because all of our knowledge derives from God, the Spirit and the Son. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Son is the divine logos of the universe. Mm-hmm. He brings all of us together and he created all of us. And so his plan is greater than my plan. So I don't need to know everything. I can just be confident that when the time comes, he'll be there for me. Yeah.
2: Jesus asked more questions than he gave answers. Yes. And this is the man who said, I am, I am I'm the truth. So if anyone's going to know all the answers, probably him. Yeah. And yet he asks more questions. In his discipleship method, is going. I'm going to ask you some questions, and I'm going to listen to your response, and I'm going to let you respond to those. And I think we see discipleship very often as <clears throat> I have uh, information here, or I don't have it, and that's why I can't do this. I have this information, and I have to download it from here to there, or from here to there. Instead of saying, um, let's. Let's explore some things and ask the question: Where is your head, or where is your heart? And let people begin to share and discover. And in that, the Spirit does what He alone can do, as people self-discover.
0: It's practice.
2: Mm-hmm. That too. Okay. So, so, so the
0: more you do it, the more confidence you get.
2: Right. And that's going to involve fear each time. Right. Mm-hmm. And stepping out and doing that. Because it's actually exercising your faith. And and so without exercising that muscle of faith, we actually can lose it. So faith that's not exercised will actually be faith that's lost. We don't actually get a chance to exercise the faith that we actually have. Good morning, Cattlebrook family. My name is Troy. I'm one of the servant leaders here. And this morning we are in a series called Breaking the Discipleship Barrier. We have a goal this year that... It's, it's everyone, disciple one in, in 2021. And so, as we've been going through that this whole year, what we've been trying to wrestle with is there's some legitimate barriers to helping someone else follow Jesus that, that we face. We've been processing through this together. In fact, uh, started this series off three weeks ago, talked about, I think, what is the biggest barrier, which is a lack of the Holy Spirit or a lack of being filled with the Holy Spirit. And then we talked about um, the presence of fear being a barrier. And last week Ryan talked about the, the absence of time, not having enough time, being a barrier to the idea of helping someone else follow Jesus. And this morning we're gonna kind of go, we're gonna take fear at a different angle, kind of an internal angle, and we're gonna take a look at the barrier barrier of insecurities. Insecurities that we have. And to do that, I want to start by taking you back to the year 1947. In 1947, there was this widely held belief in the existence of what was called the sound barrier is an invisible wall of air that would smash an airplane that tried to break the speed of Mach 1. And some pilots had tried to do it, but to date, at that time, no one was able to actually do it. In fact, earlier in the year, in 1947, a, a British pilot tried to do it with a tragic end because the plane couldn't sustain the pressure and it exploded. At the same time, the U.S. Air Force was trying to get, uh, they were developing a program to put military uh, personnel into space, but to do that, they had to figure out this sound barrier thing first. And so it ended up being a a guy named who? Who did this? Who did this? Chuck Yeager. Okay, Chuck Yeager was the guy who was uh, invited to be the test pilot. In his autobiography, he writes about how his boss, Colonel Boyd, informed him of this in this next slide. He said... Chuck, nobody knows for sure what happens until somebody gets there. Chuck, you'll be flying into the unknown, okay? According to Jaeger, the plane had the best technology and design, but the Air Force couldn't guarantee the outcome, the Colonel couldn't guarantee the outcome, and nobody had been there before. And so after nine, nine attempts to break the sound barrier, on October, uh, what was it, 14th, it's almost 74 years ago to the day, almost, Jaeger finally broke the sound barrier, and when he did, afterwards, he wrote about it, and he said this, he said, "I was thunderstruck. After all the anxiety, breaking the sound barrier turned out to be a perfectly paved speedway. It was like poking a hole through jello." Now for those of us who are trying to follow Jesus and help others follow Jesus, there are some, I think, parallels here, because maybe for you, maybe it's something that you've never done before. And so it's sort of like flying into the unknown. Or maybe for some of you, you've actually watched someone else do it and their plane exploded when they did that. So you're like, no thanks, I'm out. Okay, I'm not discipling somebody else. But let's acknowledge that certainly Chuck Yeager was navigating some levels of insecurity when he, he straps into the cockpit, knowing that just that, just earlier in the year, a guy had tried it and it, the plane blew up. But he had nine attempts. But certainly... After having done that, we made significant advances in aerospace technology. Might it be also true that if we are willing to lean into our insecurities and step out in this way, that we also might be used by God to make significant advances in his kingdom as we lean into our insecurities? And this morning, what I'd like to show you is that Jesus uses our insecurities to cause us to depend on him, okay? It's kind of the big idea. Jesus uses our insecurities to cause us to depend on him. To wrestle through this, we're going to look at a scripture together. Uh, Matthew chapter ten. Matthew chapter ten is on page six eighty eight in the Brown Bibles under your chairs. Would strongly encourage you to grab a Bible underneath the chair that's in front of you and open with me to Matthew chapter ten. We're going to read the first twenty verses. Uh, Matthew is what's called a, a gospel account. It's a good news account of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and um, it's written by a guy named Matthew, as one of Jesus' disciples, his first disciples. There's a guy who was a tax collector who left that kind of behind and followed Jesus. And what we find in chapter 10 is the second of five blocks of teaching that we find in the book of Matthew. Let's uh, see what Matthew writes, Jesus saying. Why don't you stand with me as we read God's word? I'm going to pray, and then we'll read the first 20 verses. Father God, thank you for your word. I pray more than anything that I would say today that what we are about to read would do what you promised it would do and not return void. You promised that this is able to discern between the, the bone and the joint, the sinew and the marrow. And so I pray that would be the case. Have us have ears to hear by your Spirit, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, chapter 10, verse 1. He, Jesus, called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Do not take along any gold or silver or copper in your belts. Take no bag for the journey or extra tunic or sandals or a staff, for the worker is worth his keep. Whatever town or village you enter, search for some worthy person there and stay at his house until you leave. And as you enter the home, give it your greeting." If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake the dust off your feet when you leave that home or town. I tell you the truth, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard against men. They will hand you over to the local councils. And flog you in their synagogues. On my account you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. This is the Word of God. Amen. Once you have a seat? Now, before we dig into this together, I want to give you just a couple minutes, and I, I clipped this text from 1 through 20 down to this next slide, which I took out the names of the, 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 the disciples in there. And I just want you to read kind of 1 through 10, and then turn to someone next to you um, and ask this question. If you put yourself in the, the, the sandals of the disciples, what are you thinking or what are you feeling if you're hearing Jesus uh, say these things? So go ahead and take and turn and talk for just a couple minutes, and I'll come back up. We'll dig into this. What? Uh, what are you thinking, feeling? Apprehensive. That's a great word. I like it. What else? What else? What else are you thinking, feeling? If you're in the disciple sandals here. Anxious. Yes. What else? Huh? I've got all this power. Yeah. Do I have all this, have all this power? Yeah. Why me? Why me? I'm, enough. I'm enough. Okay. Good. What else? Put your complete trust in you. You're going to have to put your complete trust in me. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot going on in here. Okay. And I want to just begin by telling you this passage, the, to- the topic of it, is not insecurity. But can, can anyone relate uh, besides me to go, hey, if I put myself in the disciples' shoes, I may experience a little bit of insecurity having read some of that, right? So we can say, okay, so this text isn't about that, but I, I want to identify with the disciples and how they may have felt in this context. And yet here's what Jesus does. First, he calls his disciples to himself. And then he empowers them, and then he sends them. That's what we're going to look at. He calls them to himself, he empowers them, and then he sends them, okay? First, he calls them. In verse 1, it says that Jesus called his 12 disciples. And the word means to bid to come, or to come to oneself. And so Jesus is saying, come come to me. And he's calling 12 uh, Jewish men, okay? Which sounds like, you know, kind of a small segment of the population, but in that se- segment of the population, you've got at least four fishermen. You've got a tax collector. You've got a, a kind of like terrorist-promoting uh, zealot, and, and, and you've got um, a, a traitor. This is probably a colorful combination of people, okay, together. And then it says, it, it says in, the, he lists them in pairs. Why does, why does Matthew write them in pairs? Why do you think he does that? That's because he sent them out in pairs, right? He doesn't, when Jesus sends out his disciples, he doesn't send them out alone. So Jesus calls his disciples, one. Number two, he doesn't only call them, he empowers them. It says in verse 1 again, he gave them authority to do some crazy things, right? Drive out evil spirits, cleanse lepers, raise people who are dead from the dead. This sounds pretty awesome, right? Now, I want you to take your Bibles and look back on pages or chapters 8 and 9. Just skim the headings in chapters 8 and 9 and see what you see happening in chapters 8 and 9. What do you see happening in chapters 8 and 9 of Matthew? It's a mumble, mumble. What do you see happening? He's healing people. Does anyone see him driving out evil spirits? He right, raising a, a girl back to life, all the, so all the things that he's telling his disciples to do here, they had just seen him do, chapters 8 and 9, okay? And so now they had, he, had, they had, he had done it, they'd seen him do it, and he says, look, I give you my power, I give you my authority. And honestly, he does, it doesn't say what that even looked like. It, 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 doesn't, I mean, it doesn't give him some kind of special incantation. Here you go, here's the incantation, say these words. He doesn't give him a certificate, here, carry this with you, He doesn't give him a lightsaber. It just says, here, you have this authority now. Which, by the way, who's Jesus to do all these things and then give and delegate that kind of authority? Think about that. So anyway, Jesus calls his disciples. He empowers them. But then he doesn't just say, here, you have that power. He sends them out to use it. He sends them out to use it. In verse 5, it says, these 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions, and more literally it says the following commands. Here we go. What are those commands? Number one, go to the lost sheep of Israel. Now in verse five it says it, Jesus kind of sets some initial boundaries there. It doesn't sound. It almost sounds like Jesus is being a little ethnocentric or racist here. He's like, "Don't go to the Gentiles. Don't go to the Samaritans." But in the in the original context, it was really more of a geographical instruction. And he's basically saying, "Don't go the way of the Gentiles or into the Samaritan cities." Why? Because he's kind of setting a boundary for them to begin with. He's like, "Look, we're going to kind of stay in this area." Which I'm sure, if I'm one of the disciples, I'm already feeling insecure. At least I get to do it kind of in the areas that I'm somewhat familiar with, with people that I. Can and speak the same language with, right? So that's helpful. The other thing that's interesting about that, it kind of reminds me of a, a rule of thumb that we have here at Kettlebrook when it comes to global missions. Uh, if, if people want to do something global, they say, hey, I want to go on a global missions trip. One of the things that we typically want to look at is to make sure that they're doing things here locally before going and doing that globally, right? In other words, it doesn't make sense to send someone to go do something globally that they're not doing first locally, right? That's just a good rule of thumb. So Jesus sends out his disciples here to the nearby areas. And the question is, is, okay, go to the lost sheep of Israel as one. What do they do as they go? He says in verse seven, as you go, preach this message. What's the message? What is the message? Verse seven. The kingdom of heaven is near. Now, have you heard this before? you probably heard this before. John the Baptist in chapter 3 of Matthew says the same thing. Jesus says it before in chapter 4 of Matthew. The kingdom of heaven is near. Don't proclaim about This isn't about you. Proclaim the kingdom of heaven. And so he tells his disciples, as you go, I want you to proclaim. But not only do I want you to proclaim, I want you to demonstrate the kingdom of heaven being near. And so I want you to do these amazing things. I want you to heal the sick and raise the dead and cleanse the lepers and drive out evil spirits. Now, again, I, I, I hear Jesus say that to me, and I start to go, okay, uh, I, I feel like am I, that's going to cause a little insecurity in me. Because it's one thing to watch Jesus do this. It's one thing to get, have him give you the power to do it. And then it's another thing to say, hey, you, now you go and do that, Right? Family, when I read this, this is why I do not have a hard time asking you to join a small group. This is why I don't have any problem saying, hey, can you turn and talk to someone next to you for like two minutes? This is why I don't have any problem saying, hey, can we disciple one person this year? Look at what Jesus is telling his disciples to do. Hey, I'm just going to go raise raise some people who have died, just raise them from the dead. Okay cleanse lepers. This is not, the things that we are doing sometimes don't seem like a tall order. But, so he sends them out and it even gets better. He says, hey, go to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim the kingdom and demonstrate it. And by the way, don't take anything with you. Okay? don't take any gold, silver, copper, don't take uh, an extra, don't take a bag, don't take extra clothes, don't take extra sandals, don't take a staff. And you can kind of imagine the conversation between Jesus and his disciples, right? So he's like, all right, go. And, and they're like, okay, so we can take some, we take some money, right? He's like, no, no money. Uh, how about a, how about a bag? Uh, you don't need a bag. How about a bag? Like, wh- how about we just carry some extra clothes? Is that fair? Like an extra set of sandals, just in case, you know, is that a, it's fine. H- how about a stick? Can we have a, can we have a, can we have a stick? Yeah, you don't need a stick, no stick which I think if I'm over here in this group with the disciples, I'm thinking like some of them have got to be thinking back all the way to Moses. Like Moses is the big deal to them. So they got to be thinking back to Exodus chapter 3. In Exodus chapter 3 and 4, God sends Moses back to Pharaoh just like Jesus is sending his disciples out. God sends Moses back to Pharaoh. He says, hey, tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And Moses, his insecurities come out four times in this conversation. God is appearing to him in a burning bush. He's hearing God's voice. And he goes, well, I don't know. What am I supposed to tell him? Who sent me? What, I don't, I, what if I don't know what to say? I've never really been a good public speaker, God. Why don't you send someone else? And he does this four times, and God gets angry at Moses. He's like, who made man's mouth? I made it. And so they're in the middle of this conversation, and, and Moses is like, what well, if they don't believe me? And, he, and God says to Moses, he says, well, what do you have in your hand? A stick. Yes, you have a stick. <laughs> what am I supposed to do with this stick? Throw it down. Throw it down. Throw uh, it down. Okay. Throws it down the ground. Stick turns into a snake. You say, oh, okay. I got a stick. But now it's a snake. Now what do I do? Pick it back up. Pick it back up. It's a snake. Pick it back up. Okay. Grabs a tail. Boom. Turns into a snake. St- he says, hey. Stick. I got a stick. And then go fast forward to these disciples like, we don't have a stick. We don't even get a stick, Jesus. He's like, no. And I'm absolutely convinced that maybe if you don't feel insecure to some extent as one of your disciples, like that's part of the point I think Jesus is trying to make. Is he saying, yeah, I'm going to send you out with absolutely nothing, so you have to rely on me. You have to trust in me alone. I think so often our insecurities get in the way of us. Say, I, uh, about helping someone else follow Jesus. Professor Craig Keener puts it this way in this next slide. Any of us who struggle with whether we are adequate to carry out God's purposes in the world should remember that the first ambassadors Jesus called, this is the disciples right here, were completely inadequate. God uses especially those who will recognize their own inadequacy because those who suppose their own ability as adequate for God's call usually end up depending on it instead of on Him. To say it differently, Jesus uses our insecurities to cause us to depend upon Him. I have an illustration of this I'd like to share with you this morning. All right, so about four, a couple years ago, my mother-in-law got these for our kids. Okay, you guys know what this is? It's a hoverboard, it's a death trap is what it is, okay? So, so when, I think of, when I think of insecurities, I think of this thing, okay? Because, you know, my kids got it and it took them all about four seconds to figure out how to ride it, that's fine. But over the past couple years, I've had a chance to kind of see other people try to figure these things out, okay? And it, and it can sometimes go bad. But, but like basically what you do, you gotta step onto these things. And basically, it, it's sort of like, imagine being on a, a, a rug that someone's trying to pull out of, from underneath you, from every direction all the time. Okay? <laughs> And so, like, you, you, you lean a little bit forward this way, you lean back a little bit, and it goes whichever way. You, you lean this way, and all of a sudden, you're, you're doing circles. It's kind of crazy, right? In fact, someone actually asked me to help them figure out how to use this. And so I said, okay, here's what we'll do. You get on there. I kind of use myself as a brace for them. And they're bracing. They're holding on to me, and they're going like this. I said, let's try to go backwards a little bit. Okay, let's try to turn. Uh, let's go like this, and so I'm holding them, making it go real slow, and they're like, oh, I think I got the hang of this. They're like, Troy, you can let go. So I let go, and they could not have fallen faster. They could not have fallen right on their shoulder, six months of physical therapy, not even kidding, like on the concrete, boom. These things are crazy. These these are like the, the definition of, for me, of like insecurity, but they're also this amazing picture of of our insecurities when it comes to like anything. It's our insecurities, we, we, we lean and we go, if we put, see, see if we put our weight on things that are not secure, we'll fall, we'll fall. And when I think about making disciples, you know, Jesus is like, he wants his disciples to have to, to lean into their insecurities and to trust in him and him alone. This is what he wants. And now what I've heard um, over this year, we talk about breaking the discipleship barriers. There's barriers when it comes to making disciples that you have, okay? I have a list of them here. They come up on this next slide. What if I say something stupid? What if I give the wrong advice or don't know what to say? What if I don't know enough about the Bible? What if I fail someone, let them down, they reject me, betray me? What if I don't do it right? How do I start the conversation? What if I don't have all the right answers? And so one of the practical things I said in the video before this is like, first of all, this, there's a lot of assumptions around what discipleship is, and that is that we have to know all the answers and that we have to do all the talking, okay? And so one of the first things we got to just get out of the way is this idea that, that discipleship is all about talking. Because Jesus asked more questions than he gave answers. Jesus wanted his disciples to trust fully in him. But when we hear these things, does it sound like it's really about us? Does it sound like it's about us? And that's part of the problem. You know, when we have insecurities, our bodies actually can indicate them to us, right? Like your body will tell you when you're feeling insecure because you'll start doing something. Your face might get red. You might start to shake a little bit. Physiologically, there's indicators. You might, start to, you might do this and chew your fingernails or pick your face or what. I don't know what it is, okay? But there's things that happen when you're insecure that you do physiologically. And go, okay, I'm not trying to judge that. I'm not trying to shame you for doing that. I'm just saying, hey, you have an indicator or no, numerous physiological indicators. You go, something, something's not right. I'm feeling insecure in this moment. And that's gonna be important for us to recognize because identifying those insecurities is gonna be critical. Sometimes our insecurities come from what um, Virginia Satir, who is the late late author and and counselor, she calls them positive and negative scripts. Positive and negative scripts are deeply held beliefs that we have learned in our families and cultures, usually growing up. They make make us, the scripts look like this, in this next slide. Um, I'm a mistake, burden, I'm, I'm stupid, I'm worthless, I'm not allowed to make mistakes. I must be approved by certain people to be okay. I don't have the right to assert myself and say what I think or feel. I, I'm valued based on my intelligence, wealth, what I do, and not who I am. And these scripts are lies. Just, just yesterday, I was coaching um, Fly My Flag football team, 12 young you know, third and fourth grade boys, and I had this issue because I had this young, one of the, one of the young boys just, He was like, I said, hey, guys, who's ready to make a stop here on 4th and 6th? We can do this. And the boy goes, not me. I'm not going to do it. I'm like, all right. Uh, Sub. Sub. Just kidding. But it's, it's a script that somehow I'm trying to help him understand. No, I believe in you more than you believe in you. But these scripts are lies. And they influence and their factors and our insecurities. In fact, these things typically come from within the first year of life based on what we call attachment, whether our attachment is secure or insecure. Dr. Karen Purvis um, points this out in this next slide we read, "...except in the event of life circumstance or therapeutic healing, the attachment style developed by 12 months of age is the attachment style carried throughout life. And this influences how adults approach all types of relationships." The behavioral strategies learned in infancy become relational strategies in adulthood. And so what I'm trying to talk about just briefly here is this idea of being secure in our attachment when we're very young, and also then what becomes a stress response. You may have heard this before, fight or flight. There's actually fight, flight, or freeze. Those are our typical stress responses to these things. For example, some of you might respond to situations by becoming just emotionally closed off. That's the freeze response. And that may be because when you were very little, very young, there was a need that you had that was not met by your caregiver, either physically or emotionally. And therefore, you're like, I can't have that need met there. I need to find my need met somewhere else. And so that that need might have been met with a toy or an object or something else. And so that, if you fast forward into adulthood, what that might look like is someone being completely emotionally closed off and perhaps um, really finding safety in things and not people. Again, I'm not judging that, I'm just saying here's what's our, what seems to be a reality when it comes to our attachment or our insecure attachment. Because when, when children find secure attachment in their caregiver, their father or their mother, what will happen is this, the foundation of trust and confidence and assertiveness will be laid. That's secure attachment. But let me, let me be honest um, and very frank with you, even the most secure people I've ever met still have insecurities. We still have insecurities in one way or the other. But my, I would pose to you that one of the keys to navigating this is identifying what our insecurities are and then leaning into them. Not leaning on them, leaning into them. If we go back to Jesus and his disciples here, Jesus wanted to strip everything away so that all they would have to rely on is him and his authority. And what was this process Again? He called them to himself. He brought them around him. And he's like, I'm gonna show you guys what secure attachment looks like. I won't fail you, I'll never leave you, never forsake you, I am the truth, there's no lies here. And then he empowers them and he says, now I'm giving you, I'm giving you this power. And then he sends them out with nothing else to rely on but him. And if you're not convinced that that Jesus wasn't doing this like in doing it on purpose, verse 16 locks it in. Behold, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Does that sound secure to you? What does a sheep do among wolves? Run. Run. (laughs) (laughs) Sheep can't defend itself. It's like, they're like, Jesus, you're throwing us to the wolves. He's like, no, 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 I'm not throwing you, I'm sending you. You go. And and I want you to go with not an off chance that you might experience persecution, 100%. As you go, 100%, not not if this stuff happens, when it happens. When this happens, here's what's going to happen. The Father's going to speak through the Spirit for you. This will happen. But don't worry, I'll be there. I'll be there. The heavenly Father will be there, in whom you could never find a more secure attachment. The one who not only gives you self-worth because he made you, but he affirms that self-worth by sending his son Jesus to die to show how much you're worth. The one who's more reliable than any object or material thing. Family, one of the biggest barriers that I hear when it comes to engaging and making discipleship, disciples is insecurities, it's our insecurities. And they're there, and they're real, but Jesus uses our insecurities to cause us to depend upon Him. I want to get back on this thing quick, because one of the things that's amazing about these, uh, these things is this. I, I'm not going to fall. I'll be fine. I feel confident. One of the amazing things about uh, these things is that although they're a great illustration of our insecurities, I'm not trying to lean on this thing, I'm leaning in, I'm leaning in. And when I lean in, I go somewhere. I go somewhere when I lean in, and you know what else happens? The longer I do this, you know what else happens? I work my abs. (laughs) I work my abs. Because this is is working my core. This is working my core. Because Jesus wants to be our core. And he wants us to lean into our insecurities so that we go where he sends us to go and we understand that anytime we feel insecure that he's better. That he's better every single time. Anytime you feel insecure, Jesus is better. He this is how he reminds us. Our bodies tell us, our scripts that are negative are meant to point to a truth. He says I'm better. I'm better. So what do we do with this? How do we apply this? I've got a slide here with four things. First, we have to identify our insecurities. You have to identify them. And you might need help. Someone might need to actually help you with this because you sometimes can't know what, I mean, you kind of forest from the trees thing. But one of the ways to identify them is this, what's going on in your life when this is happening? Something, so that's just it's an indicator. And then we have to identify the deeper lies or the scripts that are beneath those insecurities of, hey, you're worthless, or hey, whatever, okay? And again, that might need some help, and, and, and any of our leaders here or staff would love to process through number two with you, because I love exposing lies. And then number three, replacing those lies with God's truth of who you are in Christ, who is the truth. And then once we've done those things, then we have to step out in faith, believing that God will empower us as we do. You know, one of the things that people say is they say, hey, um, Troy, how come we don't see some of the things that happen like they did in the scriptures? Is it perhaps because we never live in a way that actually forces us to trust in God and God alone? we got plenty of gold, silver, copper. we got our bags. we got extra bags. we got, we got shoes. we got plenty of those. sticks. We got all that stuff. Remember Chuck Yeager took how many attempts? Nine attempts to break the sound barrier. And after he did, remember what he said? The breaking the sound barrier turned out to be a perfectly paved speedway. Yes, we may be insecure, but Jesus Christ has made a perfectly paved speedway not only to follow him, but to help others follow him. Yes, it is a narrow gate and a small path, but it is the way that leads to the kingdom of heaven. And so he calls us to himself, he empowers us, and he sends us out in spite of our insecurities. What I want to do now is I want to go back to that video that we showed before. I want to to have us hear from May because May has done this. Um, I want to have us hear from May. And after May is done sharing, we're going to have a slide come up with some turn and talk questions. And that's where I'd like to, to go next. Let me pray. Father, thank you for this amazing word and how you have caused us to acknowledge our insecurities because your son Jesus wants to cause us to not only acknowledge them, but then depend upon him more. Help us to live this out, to be called to your son, and to be empowered and to be sent. In Christ's name, amen. Let's watch May.
3: Well, I just have to say because I am already discipling Mm -hmm. someone and for me, she is teaching me a lot also. Mm -hmm. And like you said, we'll learn it together. Mm -hmm. It's just great. And because I think because I'm doing this, I prepare for that. So I studied more into the Mm -hmm. word of God because like we're doing all the the miracles of Jesus and John, Mm -hmm. each one separately. And I mean, it's so incredible because as I'm Digging through that and not just reading the words, actually listening and what it's saying, mm-hmm. and then when I get to her, we discuss it, and then she comes up with things that she came up with. It really, really is more for this person discipling as the one you're discipling. And you said that would be that way, mm-hmm. and it is. In, it's incredible. It is. I wish people would know how rewarding it feels, because when you asked me to do that, you said, "I said I can't do that. I'm just." I don't know enough about it. I'm too fearful and all those things. And he said, give it a couple of days, pray about it. I said, okay, I'll do that. When you call back, I'll just say no. <laughs> <laughs> so this is seriously what happened. So I went out that day, I walked over three miles and I talked to God and I talked literally out loud. God, this is why I can't do this. I can't do this. I don't know enough about it. I just first learned about the Bible two and a half years, years ago and I talked about it and talked about it. All of a sudden I stopped, I thought, This is not a discussion, I am telling God what I'm going to do. We need to discuss. So I stopped for a while and I listened and God said, can you say no to somebody that wants to learn more about me? And I, no, I can't do that. And God said, do you want to say no to me? And I'm like, no, I can't do that. (laughs) So needless to say, when you call back, oh sure, I will do that. (laughs) Because I could picture myself meeting God and Harriman and say you know that time when you could have discipled somebody and you didn't you said no i'm like no i don't want to be there that day i was <laughs> like no so so that i did and it was the greatest thing thank you for calling because it was great incredible i thought sure i could just go back and say no you know but i couldn't if you start asking god and praying about it you aren't going to say no mm-hmm. and no one i don't think anyone could say no if they really talk to god about it
1: I ask you to stand with us and join us for one last song.
3: You unravel me
1: With a melody You surrender
2: Can you say, I am a child of God? I am a child of God. That is true. Family, if if you'd uh, be blessed with prayer, we have our prayer team up after the gathering here. We'd love to pray for you. Also love to have you apply this in in those thoughts around uh, trying to identify those insecurities and speak truth and how the gospel is good news into all those insecurities. If there's any ways that, that we as a staff team or any of our leaders can help you do that, We'd love to do that. Have have those conversations. We want to lean into those insecurities so that we can see Christ as faithful and secure. Amen? So let's go. Let's go and make disciples. Let's go help others follow Jesus for the kingdom's sake and for God's glory. Amen. God bless and have a great day. Hey everyone, Troy and Ryan here, want to say thank you so much for gathering with us virtually. We pray that Jesus Christ was lifted up and exalted, not only in the space that we are in here, but in the space that you were at as well.
0: And want to let you know too, if you're viewing us and joining us online, outside of our local community, uh, this in no way is meant to replace that local leadership, that local involvement at that church where you are locally. We pray that it would supplement it and encourage you to engage more deeply.
2: And if you're part of the Kettlebrook family but have been watching online, of course, you know that you are a gift and a blessing to the body here. So we want to make sure you're plugged into a group. If you're not part of a group, please reach out to us and let us know at info at kettlebrook.org. Thanks so much again for watching with us. God bless.